Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the one and only Maya Culpa podcast, now on the Mighty Midas Touch Network. So look for the blue banner for all future new episodes. And hey folks, there's still a few tickets left to see me live and in person with my special guest Katie Fang at the City Winery in New York City on December 9th at 2 p.m. For tickets and more information, go to citywinery.com and I hope to see you there. And now for the show. As we head into the holiday season, it seems like people are fed up and speaking their minds. On Tuesday, Elon Musk decided not to woo back the advertisers who have abandoned Twitter, I mean now X, with kindness. Nope, he told them to go fuck themselves. Yeah, to go fuck themselves. He called out Disney's Bob Iger by name, and he said, quote, he didn't need their money. Advertisers have been leery of Musk's bizarre political bent, but his recent foray into anti-Semitism was just a bridge too far. And it appears his apology toward to Israel did little to put a shine back on his tarnished reputation. Musk concluded his comments by saying that the people of Earth will know who destroyed Twitter. Hint, it wasn't him, it was the advertisers who left him. I mean, the boy genius might not be that smart after all. And on Wednesday, Judge Beryl Howell, the judge who spearheaded the judiciary's response to the storming of the Capitol on January 6th, made rare public comments warning us of the horrifying effects that the big lie is having on our society and said that the country is in danger of turning towards authoritarianism. Hey, isn't that something that you hear on this show every single time? Well, she went on to say, we are having a very surprising and downright troubling moment when the very importance of facts is dismissed or ignored. It's very risky business for all of us in our democracy. The facts matter, and I say, Indeed they do. Even Mike Pence is coming clean. And can you imagine that shit? Mike Pence is coming clean. He offered new information to special counsel Jack Smith regarding the lead up to January 6th, saying that he had told Trump that they had lost the election. But Trump turned to those lawyers who would tell him otherwise. Lawyers like Giuliani and Eastman, Powell, and then the rest of the gang. Pence also allegedly decided, I mean briefly, that he would not attend the January 6th counting of the electoral votes because it would be too hurtful to my friend Trump. But his son, a Marine, reminded him that they had both taken the same oath to support and defend the Constitution, making Pence reconsider his plan to avoid the ballot counting. Pence is now guaranteed to be a star witness against his former friend Trump in the upcoming election interference case. That's the one that Donald has failed to get dismissed in Washington, D.C. And so far, Judge Tanya Chudkin has held the line and not let the orange Jesus have his way. 
She recently denied his motion to issue subpoenas to the January 6th committee and Merrick Garland. But we know that he's trying to bury Chutkin in all the pre-trial filing pack money can buy. He hopes, I mean he hopes that their sheer volume of bullshit will delay his trial. It's something that I know all too well. This is what he does. He files fake actions. He files fake motions. It's delay, delay, delay. So fingers crossed, the trial begins as scheduled on March 4th of 2024. Now apparently, some folks are talking with their money in a blow to Ron the fucking Dork Santis' campaign. Billionaire Charles Koch is backing, yeah, backing Nikki Haley's run for the GOP presidential nomination, often seen as the reasonable Koch brother. Charles runs one of the most influential political networks in the world called Americans for Prosperity Action. And his decision to back Haley could dramatically reshape the Republican race. I mean, fingers crossed. I've met the guy. Look, I'm not a Republican, I'm a Democrat, but I do gotta tell you, he's a pretty decent guy and easy to talk to. Now Tim Scott is out and Christie says that he won't stick around if Iowa shows him no love. So it could come down to a Haley-Trump feud. The idiot who owns Home Depot stepped up yesterday to announce that he's all in for Trump all the way. So in the words of Elon Musk, he can go fuck himself, but it's starting to look like a real horse race. And God knows it would do the country good if Republicans came to their sense and backed Haley over Trump. Now the MAGA happy idiots running the show in the House of Representatives have once again painted themselves into a corner with their stupid impeachment ploys. James Comer, chair of the House Oversight Committee, well, that asshole had his head, I mean he had his fucking ass handed to him again when lawyers for Hunter Biden said, yeah sure, Hunter will sit down for questioning, but not in some closed door hearing, where afterwards Comer and buddies would come back and lie to the press about what was actually said. Lawyers for Hunter Biden said that they had seen Comer use closed-door sessions to manipulate and mislead the public and asked, I mean literally asked, that they let the light shine on these proceedings. In other words, they told Comer, again in the words of Elon Musk, go fuck yourself. Comer then threw a little shit fit and said that he didn't want guys like Jamie Raskin, Dan Goldman, and quote, Little Moskowitz jumping up and down in the proceedings. Now he was of course referring to Jared Moskowitz, who retorted on X, and I quote, This is the first true thing Comer has said all year. It's been hard for me to grow. But truth is, Comer is afraid of all the smart lawyers on the Democratic side. Remember how well the whistleblower hearings went? Not good, not good at all. I mean, what is it, in all fairness, what is it that Hunter Biden is asking for? He wants the hearings to be live. He wants it to be televised. He wants there to be transparency. And who's against this? That's right, Comer and crew. 
Now our friend Jamie Raskin smoked Comer with a series of searing comments, including, and I quote, Comer's insistence that Hunter Biden's interview should happen behind closed doors proves it once again. What the Republicans fear most is sunlight and the truth. Well, let me say this, Jamie, truer words ain't never been spoken. And Jamie Raskin, as far as I'm concerned, you're a national treasure. And now for the main event. My guest today is fighting the good fight for all of us. His name is Chris Goldsmith. And Chris is an Iraq combat vet and dedicated hunter of fascists and Nazis. He's also an investigator and instructor and champion of veterans' rights. His company, Spavarius, detects and disrupts disinformation and domestic extremism. And also check out the Community Response Guide at Goldsmith's website, taskforcebutler.org. That's taskforcebutler.org. The guide is written to help the average person take their first steps towards holding accountable people who target their neighborhood with acts of hatred. So again, that's taskforcebutler.org. And let's go now to that conversation. Okay, Chris, so when we spoke about a little over a year ago, there was a lot on white nationalism. And now anti-Semitism has increased by more than 400% since the war began in Gaza. In your opinion, what's happening in this country to make folks want to join these hate groups? So these hate groups are glomming onto just whatever's on the news. They're taking, uh, taking advantage of an opportunity uh, they see that people are are afraid, people are scared, people are reacting. Um, you know, you and I are both New Yorkers, right? The uh, the closest that I can uh, compare what happened to the Jewish community to is is what happened to us on nine eleven, right? We spent years culturally, emotionally freaked freaked out, right after nine eleven. October 7th, uh, you know, what, what we saw in the beginning of, of that month uh, was a horrific terrorist attack. And immediately we saw neo-Nazi organizations, white supremacist organizations come out of the woodwork and start to agitate crowds the same way that they did in 2020 after George Floyd was murdered. There are videos from, from back in 2020 when we saw peaceful protests turn into riots because neo-Nazis would go into a crowd with something like a hammer and start breaking windows. And they know how to work a crowd. They know how to get people to demonize one another, to make it appear as if, you know, you, you have a big crowd of protesters, you throw in one extremist who starts, uh, who starts breaking things, who starts hurting people, and that turns into a riot. Right. They've been doing this, you know, to Black Lives Matter from 2020. Uh, you know, we saw it with with all the George Floyd stuff. Now we're seeing exactly the same thing in the streets of New York and around the country, uh, you know, w with these extremist organizations taking advantage of crowds and making people angry and afraid and fearful. But what are we here for today? We're here to talk about hope. Right. Right. 
I run an organization called Task Force Butler Institute. We train veterans to conduct the open source intelligence research uh, that is necessary to find these agitators, these extremists, to identify them and hold them legally accountable. You know, you and I had spoken offline uh, a couple of days ago, and it was right after I witnessed the Nazi march in Wisconsin. And I was thinking to myself, and again, I was young at the time. It was in the 70s. So I was, what, 10, 11, maybe, maybe 12 years old. Um, something called the JDL, the Jewish Defense League. And while they were very radicalized themselves under, you know, the control and under the, um, the guidance of a very uh, significant Jewish man by the name of Meyer Kahan, I was thinking to myself, why can't I be the next Meyer Kahan? Now, I'm not sort of advocating the same sort of actions that he did where, you know, they were very vigilant in terms of, you know, they weren't interested in getting, you know, names of neo-Nazis, of white supremacists, of fucking racist, bigot, anti-Semite, you know, Islamophobes. You know, they were more interested in smashing them in the face, knocking their teeth out and blowing up their cars. That's not really where I want to be. I've already done my time and I've never I never want to see inside of a facility ever, ever again. But my thought was, wow, if I reached out to Chris and I'm able to put together his organization and you still have, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Spavarius. Yep. Still right? got my business, too. Uh, right. Which is fantastic. And some of the introductions that you know, you have made over the years, you know, forming since at least we last spoke to organizations, whether it's for veterans or other um, groups. Why can't we create a JDL that doesn't necessarily, it could still be called the Jewish Defense League because it has that sort of ring to it. And people know that the JDL was an organization you really want to fuck with. But if we would have gotten 50 guys, and I'm sure I can find the funding for this, you know, from a multitude of New Yorkers and organizations around the country that have a real issue with white supremacy, anti-Semitism, racism, Islamophobia, and we would have been there. And all I want to do is play on a loud microphone. And the great thing is today, that speaker system could be eight inches long, four inches wide. You could hold it in your hand. You put four, five, six of those, right? Attach them to a cell phone with Wi-Fi and blast Hatikva, right? As these neo-Nazis are walking down. And the funny thing is, if you look at them, they're all really a bunch of skinny fuckers. You know, these aren't guys. Maybe there's two or three in the group, but you get 50 real, real serious you know, Jews, non-Jews, blacks, Muslims, right? Big motherfuckers, right? And you just stand there and you're not going to do anything, you know, other than play Hatikva or some other, you know, sort of uh, 
anthem. I don't care if it's the national anthem, right? Whatever it is, just so that they understand that they're being watched. On top of that, what I really wanted is then to have a group. So for example, at University of Pennsylvania, where students were trapped in libraries and scared to leave to go home because of all of the shit that's going on. I would like to have a group, five, six, seven guys, at some of these schools where you have the issues and really make a stand. Make a stand for what's right. Fuck this bullshit at this point already. Where these people have think that they have the right to walk down the street, to do and say anything that they want. Fuck that. And the first one that wants to get out of line, I'd be the first one to punch that fucker right in the mouth. Well, just like you said, you don't want to see the inside of the facility again, right? So we we have to we have to reel it back. The, those might be our our first base impulses, right? And and what you're describing is is a desire to fight back, is a desire to go on offense. So, you know, I, my days of street protesting, you know, if people want to look up my history, they can see from back in like 2008 when I was part of the anti-war movement, I had fresh scars on my face because I was, you know, I was a brawler back then. Those days have passed for me. What I'm interested in now in when I'm talking about going on offense, it's doing things like, like the SPLC did. Uh, the guy who led Blood Tribe in Wisconsin uh, was recently unhoused. He had been building a Nazi training camp in Maine. Guy's name is Chris Polhouse, former Marine. Big dude. Uh, but, you know, he, he's made a lot of negative life choices. He's got a kid that he can't see because he's, you know, a full-time Nazi. That's what he does. As It's not just like a hobby for him. He does it full-time. Um SPLC found out that he had bought land, found out that he had been living in a trailer and that he had been inviting Nazis up to Maine to clear the land to create a Nazi fighting training camp, right? What did SPLC do? SPLC ended that training camp because they exposed it. And that's the same kind of work that we do at Task Force Butler. In order to find out uh, where these Nazis are, are going to show up, you know, with their flash mobs, we have to infiltrate their organizations. And it, it, takes, it takes a ton of time. Uh, it takes a ton of energy to infiltrate these spaces online. Uh, you know, in the case of some of the folks that I work with, pretending to be a Nazi in real life so that they can infiltrate things like the Aryan Freedom Network's National Conference or the Blood Tribe's, you know, next event. Uh, that takes a lot of resources, man. And, and realistically, there is no way that we can, without an early warning system of infiltrating these organizations, that we'd be able to spin up 50 veterans and, and get them to, to you know, hit the streets in, in Madison, Wisconsin, right? So we have to fight on the front end. It takes day and night working to, uh, to get close to these folks, to get their identifying details so that we can expose them. The way that we hold them accountable is, is not just for the criminal activity, where they're you know, committing violence, where they're doing property destruction, but when they're crossing the line, uh, you know, getting into targeted harassment campaigns, when they're doing things like stalking, when they're engaging in, in campaigns like swatting, to try and get people killed by the cops in their own homes by faking uh, a violent event or something. So what we're focused on is, uh, is holding these people accountable legally, socially, and economically. 
when that neo-Nazi Chris Polhouse, leader of the Blood Tribe, when when he was found out to be living in Maine before he lost his property, he was kicked out of a local gym because he kept wearing racist shirts. Right? We as American citizens, we have the right to refuse service. And when we identify these neo-Nazis, whether it's the gym or the coffee shop or the restaurant or the laundromat, we can say no. We identify them so that local communities can hold them accountable, so that we can completely extricate them from our economy so that they can't make any money and they can't use money and time uh, and and their own energy to go out and harass and intimidate and, and try to threaten uh, people around the country. You know, but this is going on quite a bit. There's a handful of groups uh, that, like like myself, you may have seen in the New York Post and uh, mm-hmm. and elsewhere. There was a woman who was tearing down posters. wasn't even tearing the posters down. She was ripping the faces off of the children that were on the posters. And I confronted her, asked her why. Of course, she then confused me with Steve Cohen, who is the mega billionaire Wall Street genius who actually also owns the Mets, right? Which <laughs> you're going to confuse me. You're going to confuse me for Steve Cohen. Not, I ha- you know, not a bad guy to get confused with. But, you know, she was a real fucking animal to say the least. We haven't been able to identify her. But what's crazy is that there's a whole group of these individuals and so many of them have gotten outed. They found out their names. They've lost their jobs. Some of whom worked at universities here in the city. Some of whom were in doctorate programs on student visas to this country doing things like this. Could you imagine, right? Do you remember we had an American who tore down or took down a poster of Kim Jong-un in North Korea? Do you remember how they brought his body back to America? I mean, it's amazing. Yes, I want everybody to have their, you know, the right, mm-hmm. you, you know, to, to do a certain amount of thing. But this one is just so abhorrent. And, you know, so everything that you're saying is exactly what they're so doing a- to these individuals. They're outing them to their neighbors, to their colleagues to their employers, you name it. And they're all suffering those type of consequences. So I, I think that, you know, what what you did was was right for you. Right. Um, but I, I think this is part of a bigger and tougher conversation that a lot of people aren't having. And I'm, and I'm glad that you're you know, you invited me here to talk about this. People ask, why are the posters getting ripped down? Because we we don't understand. It seems barbaric. It seems inhuman. The reason, and, and I'm not justifying it, right? I'm just, I'm just telling you my understanding. The reason that posters are getting ripped down is because from the perspective of, uh, of, of Palestinians, of people who are, who are uh, sympathetic to the Palestinians, is that those posters are justifying the death of their loved ones, of the people that they care about. Because in, in real terms, Every Jewish American, every Israeli uh, has a platform that that Palestinians never have. Um, you know, that is that might be tough to hear, but I don't know the name of a single Palestinian who's been killed. You know, we've we've seen that there's been 5000 or more Palestinian kids who are dead. I don't know this a name of any of them. I I haven't seen them. What about the three, Chris? What about the three in um, uh, what was it Wisconsin 
who were, you know, shot by that random jerk off mm -hmm. who just decided because they were, you know, of different ethnicity or prayed to a different God or yeah. what have you, that he yeah. felt justified in shooting them. Well, in weeks ago, in, it, you know, it hasn't been talked about, uh, you know, for a while now, but like right in the beginning of the war, an American veteran uh, who was a landlord shot a young Palestinian woman and, and killed her child. And and this is, you know, this kind of uh, this kind of targeting, this kind of violence. This is where I think that we really, really, really need to focus. Right. The destruction of symbols on public property that that is uh, that is repulsive and offensive uh, behavior. But uh, but they're people are doing it uh, because they are hurting. They're hurting in the same way that we are, in the same way that the Jewish community is Then is hang hurting. up your and, own posters and then make an issue about those that, listen, you know, I've, I've said this before and some people were angry at me for saying it and I don't particularly care. I'm going to voice, you know, mm -hmm. my parents, my father, being a Holocaust survivor, will tell you, you know, that there were people who had helped to save their lives as they fled the Nazis after they, you know, were successful in, uh, you know, escaping from Auschwitz. You know, there were people that helped them in ways that could have cost them their own lives, uh, Uzbekis and others that were on the way. And so, you know, mm -hmm. you can't look at any one group in its totality. You have to look at them for the individuals that they are. I don't want to see a single Palestinian child, mother, uh, person of age, innocent. I'm not talking Hamas. And people have to mm -hmm. understand there is a major distinction between Hamas and Palestine. All right. I'm not the guy who's going to be able to tell you which is which and who is who and which, you know, young man who happens to be Palestinian is or is not connected some way to Hamas. If you are fair game, if you're not mm -hmm. like these young babies in the in the maternity wards, they're innocent children. And my heart goes out. So you know what? If that's how you feel and you want to pass along a message, put up your own posters. For God's sakes, I'll help you to put up the posters. But don't tear down or rip off the face of a child that was taken mm -hmm. by Hamas, whose parents or siblings were executed during that raid. That's just fucked up and it's wrong. And the way that you, the way that you get your point out is not to try to diminish somebody else's point. Just make your own point and move on. Yeah, I agree. And and you know this this is this is something that I I learned about from the anti-war movement. When I came home from Iraq, I was all sorts of fucked up. I had just survived when I got kicked out of the military, it was because I got kicked out for surviving a suicide attempt because the the Army at that time, back in 2007, was not recognizing PTSD. They weren't diagnosing PTSD. Hell, I didn't even know what PTSD stood for, right? So when I came out and I got involved in the anti-war movement, I, I figured out from being a young person, I was 21 years old, 22 years old, uh, I figured out from having those, those confrontations, those, those, you know, being at protests, uh, you know, learning the generational trauma that 
I had stepped into as an outsider. I'm not Jewish. I don't have any Holocaust survivors in my family. There is no replacement for lived experience. When I went to war, it was the first time that I ever understood the the immense amount of suffering that exists in a war zone. I deployed to Sadr City, Baghdad, which is is the slums of Baghdad. I think it might have the same size population as as Gaza. The first time that I ever thought about Palestine or Israel or anything like that in any sort of real way uh, was when I came across a uh, some graffiti on the literally on the street of an intersection in Sadr City, Baghdad, where some. Iraqi, I don't know who, I don't know what their allegiances were, painted an American flag next to an Israeli flag. And it wasn't until I was part of a war where I was wearing combat gear, getting shot at, you know, my friends, you know, getting blown up, that the the generational conflicts going on in the Middle East really started to crystallize for me at all, right? And these primarily young people on college campuses are are doing and saying things that the rest of us who have more experience recognize as um as abhorrent as as far from okay but i i want to urge people to give them the chance to learn there are you know when 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 I talk about Nazis, when I talk about neo-Nazis and white supremacists and people who hate Jews, I'm talking about people who dedicate their lives to it, right? People who are out there to do harm. Well, they don't just hate Jews. Of- they hate anybody oh, yeah. who's not Aryan. Yeah. And I mean, immigrants of, of any kind, they hate, right? So I want to be careful when we have this discussion, not to, to lump in college kids who are who are in a learning environment who are, you know, doing the hands-on part of learning, getting in these uh, in these tough conversations, getting in conflicts. I want to make sure that we separate them from like the borderline terrorists, right? The the people that uh, that Task Force Butler are most interested in tracking are the ones who are trying to motivate mass shooters into action, and that's where we really need to direct our energy. We we need to be, you know really hyper-focused on the people who are stepping into terrorism. Tearing down posters is is one thing, but like showing up in a Jewish neighborhood and dropping off leaflets with swastikas, like that's a whole other thing. And that and that's where I think we really need to focus our attention and our energy to bring these bring an end to this kind of activity. So these hate groups, specifically we'll just call them the neo-Nazi and you know white supremacists. We understand what their mission is, right? Their mission is to try to recreate something that deserved to fail, right, in the late 30s and 40s. Where are you finding that the bulk of them are located? Are you finding that they're in rural areas? Are they in metropolitan areas? Are they in all areas? I mean, you know, where are they located? They're all over the place. There, there is, um, if, if you look at the Anti-Defamation League or the SPLC's heat maps, you'll see a ton of activity in, uh, on the East Coast. 
Um, that is in part because of observation bias. We just have more people who are trained to observe these things and, and report these things. But these hate groups exist all across the country. Now, there's differences in how they can operate in a, in a blue state like New York uh, or even a state like Florida, which has relatively strong hate crime laws um, or a place like Texas, where there are red counties where, uh, you know, law enforcement officials might be, you know, part of these extremist organizations. So Task Force Butler is uh, is over the next year, as we get into an election year, we're going to be starting to set up um, uh, smaller versions of our of our bigger organization. Like, you know, we're the mothership. We're setting out analysts who are kind of closer in the field. We're going to be getting veterans in these communities so that they can do uh, do the work that we do as a national organization on the local level. What's, you know, I am an expert in, in neo-Nazis nationally, but there is no replacement for having someone who is situated in Nebraska, who can be, you know, uh, who knows the neighborhood, who's there to see, you know, the, the graffiti and, uh, and the, the other propaganda, you know, in person or someone who's on a campus, you know, who, who can watch these things up close. So we're going to be over the next year expanding so that we can train veterans to do this work on the local level so that we can hold them accountable before they, you know, grow their organizations, before they start buying weapons and, and you know, get closer to committing acts of terrorism. You know, can we just go back to these college campuses for a second? I'm all in favor of free speech. I'm all in favor. You want to say what you want as stupid, as radical, as anti-Semitic, as racist, you know, Islamophobic as you want it to be. Knock knock your fucking socks off. I personally don't care. Say what you want. But it's the threats, the intimidations, the drawing mm-hmm. of swastikas on, you know, the Hillel at the local schools, the fear that they're creating, whether it's Cornell, Columbia, University of Pennsylvania, Harvard, right? Now, I mean, NYU. I mean, this is real crazy shit. And I told you a year ago that while I was at American University, I believe it was my my sophomore year, we had a group of white supremacists that decided to crash uh, ours and Phi Sig's party. Now, you know, <laughs> we were all living in the gym like all college kids do, you know, when you hit the late 50s like me and like tomorrow I'm going for cortisone injections in my spine because I have a f- two fractured discs and a torn rotator cuff. Yeah, maybe now is not the time for me to be swinging, right? But in those days, it was a whole nother, it was a whole nother ball game. And these 15, 16 neo-Nazis came in wearing swastika t-shirts and so on. And they thought that they were going to intimidate everybody. Well, we beat the living shit out of them. I mean, it was an unfair fight. Don't get me wrong. Right. Not that most of us couldn't have taken them anyway. These are not, you know, tough guys. You're not talking about fighting mm-hmm. MMA guys like 1520 that show up. That could have been some real issues. But these guys, they came in and they thought they were going to intimidate by wearing a swastika. Instead, many of them lost teeth, ended up with stitches and every one of them got knocked out. Right. Or ran or ran because, you know, mm-hmm. we were we outnumbered them two, sometimes three to one. 
So it was an unfair fight, but fuck it. It's college. You end up in a fight. I don't understand, though. I don't understand what's caused these hotbeds of hate speech, especially at some of the universities that you're talking about. You're talking about the hardest schools in America to get into. And most of these kids don't well, even know what they're talking about. So my first experience at Columbia University was in 2008. I was, I was there. I was invited by, um, uh, by a student group, an anti-war student group. And at, you know, at 22 years old, I, you know, might've looked a little scary to some people. I had a Mohawk and again, like constantly had fresh wounds on my face because I was constantly getting in brawls. And I was there yelling at kids because they didn't give a shit about the war that my friends were fighting in. Right. I was, I was seriously unstable. I was fucked up. I was unemployable. I had severe post-traumatic stress disorder that had just been diagnosed, but, you know, treatment wasn't helping me then. When we see she, uh, crazy shit happening on campus, like Columbia's campus today, which I just graduated from Columbia, my undergrad three years ago, like I, I know the campus very well. We have to remember that anybody can walk onto that campus. Anybody. And these extremist organizations know that and they take advantage of the fact. So they will go there when there's a pro-Palestine uh, uh, protest, which is not inherently anti-Israel, right? We, we need to separate, we need to like have these two ideas in our heads. Pro-Palestine does not mean genocide against the Jews. It doesn't mean the is state of Israel should not exist. It means don't kill kids in Palestine. All that has to happen is for one person outside of that community go in and hold up a sign, you know, with their face covered. And now they've condemned an entire crowd as looking like anti-Semites and condemned a whole crowd as looking like neo-Nazis. And they do that intentionally because the, the natural response that we have, whether we see that in person on Columbia's campus or we see photos or videos after the fact, we make the mistake of assuming that that person was invited, that they were part of a student group when they may not even be from the same state. And we assume that all of them are equally guilty of the same thing. We assume that all of them saw that sign. And we start to impose costs the way the task force Butler does on neo-Nazis by making sure that these kids get kicked out of school or they end up getting fired. That is the wrong move to take, man, because we are putting people into the extremism pipeline if we do that. The ADL, which... You know, we we refer to the ADL on our website. We refer people to their tools. We re ask people to report hate crimes to the ADL. But Jonathan Greenblatt has been really fucking irresponsible, man, talking about these college students. The ADL sent out a letter to dozens of colleges uh, a few weeks ago calling for colleges to be to work with the FBI to investigate their students for material support for Hamas. That is a life-ending, career-ending investigation. It, that, that is Jonathan Greenblatt and ADL saying, we're going to take these kids and we're going to ruin their entire fucking lives and give them no recourse. Because in investigation, you don't have to be found guilty. You just get investigated for material support for terrorism. That's it. That's in your FBI file for the rest of your life. That will affect you somewhere down the line. It's one thing if you're participating in a pro- Palestine march. That's absolutely fine. As I said, I am, 
I am somebody that believes in the First Amendment. I'm some, I am actually mm -hmm. the first political prisoner in this country, right, held by my own country because Trump decided that he, along with Bill Barr and others, were going to violate my First Amendment constitutional right and had me remanded back to prison. I don't want to see any of these mm -hmm. kids in that situation. But I do have a real issue with their with their uh, support for a terrorist organization that just murdered, raped, lit on fire, beheaded, all of the most barbaric things. Innocent people that were out at a function just dancing, enjoying a fair. I have a real problem with that. And if in fact that they turned their names over to the FBI, for God fucking sake, I was investigated because I did an NDA for the former president for getting his mushroom dick pulled by a porn star. So I don't have any sympathy for them. I, again, if mm -hmm. it had to do with Palestinian, I'm absolutely fine. But when, when you go ahead and you start to support a terrorist organization, you know, I have no issue with that. I'm a little shocked to hear that you do. So, well, so the accusation that the ADL is making is material support. Material support means like sending money to Hamas so that Hamas can buy rockets to fire it into, into Israel. They have not produced any evidence whatsoever or any specific claims that college kids are raising money for Hamas. Well, then that's then you're right. But, then that's reckless. Yeah, that is extraordinarily reckless. They're not like the FBI is is. Like I, you know, I get frustrated with the FBI all the fucking time. Being a Nazi is not illegal. Being a, a you know, a supporting in a in a First Amendment sense a, a terrorist organization, like going out and saying that you support a terrorist organization, that is not crossing the line, right? And and I have to deal with my own frustration that the FBI doesn't make arrests, you know, until there's like very clear and convincing evidence of of a crime that's imminent or already has occurred, right? But what the ADL is asking people to do, what the ADL is asking universities to do is just blanket like specific uh, organizations that are sympathetic to, to Palestinian lives and say, investigate them for terrorism. Like that is, that is way, way, way uh, beyond anything that they've presented evidence of. Like now I'm, I'm, open to being proven wrong. If the ADL has, has evidence that there are college campuses out there that are doing fundraisers for a terrorist organization, like I think they should bring that forward. But they have not done that. So what they're asking for is they're asking for the imposition of serious life-ruining costs for free speech. And and I like I fucking hate Nazis, right? I certainly don't like jihadic uh, jihadist terrorists. I joined the fucking army to go kill them, right? Like that, that's what I fought for. I fought in the global war on terror. I have no fucking sympathies for terrorists, but I don't want people to get labeled as terrorists or as supporting terrorists for First Amendment protected activity. Listen, is, listen I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. I'm a guy who truly believes in the First Amendment. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I brought my lawsuit against the United States government, Trump, Bill Barr, DOJ, mm -hmm. etc. cetera. Uh, December 14th, I'm actually, uh, it's on appeal. So we'll see what happens there. But I want to ask you this then, Chris, because Trump's language at his recent rallies 
and on that untruth social shit platform that's probably going to go out of business any day now, it's nothing short of a fascist dictator. Same, same language. I mean, we've seen it. It almost mm-hmm. mirrors Adolf Hitler's. He tells us that he's going to use his power to punish his enemies and on and on, right? I am your vengeance. Not my words, his. Yep. Then he says, I will go after, if elected, every single one of these fascist, communist, Marxist, yada, yada. And he goes, and, you know, and I will lock them away. It's really crazy shit. Yep. Can't understand. With all of the nonsense coming out of, you know, basically it should be his asshole, but it's located under his nose, so we'll call it his mouth. His poll numbers are good, right? Do you think that yeah. people are aware that Trump is a fascist? I mean, who plans to turn the nation into an autocracy? Do they not realize this? Because I spew this every day. Yeah, so Task Force Butler just uh, just produced our our one of our new educational guides called What is Fascism? People can go to taskforcebutler.org slash what is fascism. And you can learn about the history of of the rise of fascism and the key elements of fascism, like leveraging identity and grievance um, to and conspiracy theories. When we wrote, we spent the last couple of months writing this. It started as, you know, look, looking like a, a giant college paper or something. We had to reduce it to something that was digestible, right? Spent a long, long time working on this. We published it. And then Trump came out and, and talked about creating these concentration camps for mass deportations. He, he started talking more explicitly about using the DOJ to go after his, his political enemies. I mean, that is, that is nothing new. Trump has been using the DOJ. You, you know this more than anybody. He's been using the DOJ when he was in power uh, to go after his political enemies. But now he's talking about getting people who are committed to the cause of fascism, who are experts in government and, uh, and who are, you know, uh, experienced legal minds, if, if not good ones, uh, and, and building an army of fascist lawyers who can actually implement fascist law. So people should be pretty, pretty fucking frightened right now about the prospect of a Trump presidency when he's talking about things like building concentration camps and things like mass be- deportations and loyalty tests. I mean, he's talked about purging government. Could you imagine a loyalty test? And by the way, let me be very clear. The loyalty test that he's referring to is not loyalty like when you take the Pledge of Allegiance, right, Mm -hmm. to the flag of the United States of America. No, he wants you to pledge allegiance to Donald J. Trump and nothing else. Fuck the Constitution, fuck the flag, fuck the ideology of democracy. He wants you to pledge allegiance to him the same way he would would just marvel when he would see the way people pledge their allegiance to Kim Jong-un. He was fascinated Mm -hmm. by it, and he wants it for himself. You know, I I think it's important for – and this this is a good segue into it – it's important for us to talk about – how Trump has started talking about our religion, right? He's, he's like kind of talking about Christianity, but everybody knows he's not a religious man. 
never never has been. Doesn't have a, a religious. What, bone what you mean? Body. You mean two Corinthians? <laughs> oh, so fucking stupid! So this this guy has has been talking about you know part of the loyalty test for immigrants was adherence to our quote religion. He's not talking about Jews, right? There, there is a bunch of folks who are around Mar-a-Lago, people from the Jewish community, who for some reason have been convinced that Trump is good for Israel and, and therefore, uh, you know, we, we should support Trump. Trump is talking about mass. Give you the answer before you go on. It's because sure. he moved the embassy from, uh, Tel uh, from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Mind you, I was mm -hmm. there when Trump made the deal with Sheldon Adelson, who paid for the whole thing and put a ton of money into Trump's super PAC. So if anybody thinks mm -hmm. that he did it because he is a fan or cares about Jews or the Jewish people, oh, my God, his daughter married a Jew. Big shit. He doesn't care about his own religion. How could you care about someone else's? So now the important thing is and we see guys like Christian nationalists like uh, Mike Johnson, now the speaker. When he talks about Israel, he talks about Jews returning to Israel. In, and this, this is Christian nationalism. Jews returning to Israel, converting to Christianity. Therefore, there are no more Jews in Israel. And then the rapture happens and everybody evaporates into the sky and the sky god says Jesus is back everybody's evaporated and you know uh, what's left on earth is is basically a, a new version of of hell and um uh, and the between place i guess that's one way to get rid of ptsd right <laughs> <laughs> and and that's that is what that is what mike johnson and and Donald Trump, that is, that is like what they're looking for, right? Is for Jews to return to Israel as part of this crazy second coming of Christ thing, where everyone evaporates into the sky, right? Like people need to understand that when they get close to Trump. Like he doesn't support Israel, he doesn't support the Jewish people. Like you said, he supports the PAC that pays him and his lawyers. And if you give money to, to his, he'll support any cause. But people like Mike Johnson, they support Israel because they want to see Jews return to Israel so that they can convert to Christianity and then evaporate into the sky. Like, that's some pretty scary shit, man. If that's like their, their core uh, belief, they're in alignment. Uh, Mike Johnson has been flying the appeal to heaven flag. That is a flag that is associated with with Christian nationalists, with neo-Nazi organizations around the country. The man is second in line to the to the presidency behind only Kamala Harris. Like we're in a scary place, man. We don't have to wait for Trump to, you know, try and win or bully his way into another election. Mike Johnson's a pretty scary dude, man. I want to ask you something as a guy who was part of the military, and it's a complaint that I actually spoke with Elon Musk. I actually spoke to him. I was part of this talk group, and we were talking about bots and all of that. And if you look to see on his X um, platform, and now supposedly he's going to do it because a lot of these 
bots are, now, are you know, spewing all of this anti-Semitic, racist, Islamophobic tropes. Do you think that members of the military as being more conservative? Because I've always thought of them as being more conservative, right? Fox News plays 24-7 on military bases. And a lot of the J6ers are ex-veterans. If you can, because I don't get it. Trump has not shown an iota, not an iota of loyalty or honor towards veterans, towards the military. So if you can explain the difference between serving the country and hating the government. I mean, we fought fascism in World War II, and now they want to be fascists. They want to be fascists themselves. I'm so lost in that thought. So yeah, so so the veteran community uh, is is considered conservative in in part like. Our, the way that we have done polling in, in the United States has never been perfect and it's growing worse because you're not, pollsters are not contacting people my age or younger. People who fought the global war on terror are not answering when, you know, a random phone call comes to our house line. I don't have a house line, right? So part of our public perception on veterans as, as universally conservative is, is informed by that. The United States military is the most diverse culturally, ethnically, religiously. It is the most diverse organization on planet Earth. It is the most diverse organization in all of human history. And with that diversity comes political diversity. There are, uh, there are you know, new and growing veterans organizations that, um, that were created in part because the old guard at uh, older veterans organizations that the older members simply didn't want to give them space. So uh, organizations like Common Defense is an organization started by a bunch of friends of mine, some from the anti-war movement, some that I went to uh, to Columbia University with. It was kind of a uh, two of my worlds com- colliding when, when that organization was created. They were created to stand up against Trump. They have 30,000 active members around the country. There are organizations like the Modern, Modern Military um, Association of America, uh, there are, uh, there's the black veterans project. There are all these veterans organizations that are, that have been formed in recent years to represent young and often more progressive veterans. And the truism of becoming more conservative as you age, uh, is, is not a, it's, it's not a law of physics, right? It's, it's not always going to be the same. So these, Progressive organizations made up of veterans who were fighting, who were uh, closeted, forced to serve closeted under "Don't Ask, Don't Tell." Right? They're not going to suddenly become like Trump Republicans thirty years from now. Their their life experience would never bring them to become that. Right? So the military and veterans community is far more diverse than people give it credit for. Now, when it comes to stuff like Fox News. Fox News is, is you know, I, I can speak from my experience. In 2006, the year after I came home from Iraq, when I had CQ duty, when it was my job to, to sit, you know, at the headquarters desk for 24 hours, that's like a rotating duty. I kept it on Fox News because they had a bunch of red, white, and blue flags and, 
you know, their Chiron was red, white, and blue. And I was like, eh, this is the patriotic channel. It's no more complicated than that, man. Like I, I was the one in charge of that TV remote and I turned it to Fox news. And what we don't realize when I was that, you know, 19, 20 year old kid, um, I didn't realize the effect that it was having on me. Right. I was uh, a Republican, a conservative, a libertarian back then. It was life experience that that made me more progressive as I aged. It was joining the anti-war movement, which, you know, I joined as a libertarian, you know, practically an isolationist saying like this war in Iraq was bullshit. We never should have done it. We shouldn't should never go to war was basically where I I came from, Um, you know, and and it was meeting hardcore feminists when I thought feminism was a bad word because that's, that's where I was, you know, a Fox news viewer at, at age 21. Again, I've always, at least in my understanding, I see members of the military as being more conservative. However, however, I start to then look and I think of, for example, the actions of Tommy Tuberville, Right. A clearly member of the Republican Party, conservative, pro-Trump asshole. Right. Blocking military promotions and causing all sorts of haywire within the military ranks. So the question I really want to ask you is from your perspective, are folks in the military finally finally beginning to see how destructive the far right is to the fabric of our nation. I mean, these people serve, for God's sakes, Chris, you put your life on the line in order to protect, preserve democracy for the rest of us. And for that, we all Mm -hmm. owe you and all veterans a thank you, at least, at least a thank you. This fucking dirtbag, this fucking dirtbag. There's no other way to describe Tuberville. Blocking yep. military promotions at a time that we're engaged in not one, but two significant wars. Yeah, Tommy Tuberville, the effect that Tommy Tuberville is having force-wide by preventing fam- It's not just the generals who aren't getting promoted. It's their entire families who can't move. The Marine Corps commandant had been filling in for, you know, uh, two roles when he had a heart attack, like last month. And Tuberville came out and, and basically said like, oh, I guess the, the American military is getting soft. You've got all these senior people who have to do two full-time jobs in, a, in the fucking military because Tommy Tuberville wants to prevent women who serve in the military, women who are braver than he ever has been in his life, who, who swore an oath to our constitution, who volunteered to potentially you know, lay their life on the line for this country. He wants to make sure that they can't get reproductive health care. That's what this fight is about. And if, if Tommy Tuberville and, uh, and Mitch McConnell don't realize that they're turning a generation of vets against the Republican Party for the next, you know, 30 years, good, good. Keep fucking around. Because the Republican Party is losing all of its credibility. The Republican Party has insurgents like Marjorie Taylor Greene who are you know, saying that we shouldn't support Ukraine, right? Who have people who are, uh, we have a Western democracy that is fighting against an authoritarian, expansionist, wannabe empire. 
and Marjorie Taylor Greene is saying, no, we, we, we shouldn't support our allies, right? The, the soldiers who are on the front lines today, who are training and building relationships with the Ukrainian military, who are then watching those Ukrainians go and live in trench warfare because we can't support them the way that we need to, they're going to remember Tommy Tuberville. And they're going to remember Mitch McConnell and the rest of the Republican Party who have enabled him, who haven't stripped him of his committees, who are who've allowed this, uh, you know, for hundreds of days for our military to become more and more undermined. Um, And I I don't understand. You know, I, I think that the Republicans, especially like a Mitch McConnell, they're pretty savvy guys. They understand the long term effects of today's actions, but they don't understand how bad they're fucking up right now. It's going to impact them for decades. And and good. Say that all of them should be voted right out of office. I think that they're all of a fucked up mindset. And legitimately, I, I, I don't get it. You know, when I was talking about Elon Musk before, one of the reasons I brought him up is because most of these bots, if not all of them, mm-hmm. they all, every one of the guys has a goatee or a beard. Every single one of them claims to be a vet, right? And of course, a pro-Second Amendment guy. And that's okay. You could be pro-Second mm-hmm. Amendment, but that doesn't mean that you have to be a believer in Trumpism. So the question I really want to ask you is, did Trump and Trumpism give these hate groups the invitation that they needed to come out in the open and flourish? Or do you think that they've just been operating in plain sight all along? And we, as citizens of this country, have just been oblivious and blind to it. Man, I, we got to do a whole show on this. Like this, this, is where I, this is where I cut my teeth in research. So in 2019, I produced the Vietnam Veterans America's Troll Report. People can go to vva.org slash troll report. And they can see how in 2019, I published how uh, foreign actors, uh, whether they be Russian intelligence services or a kid in Vietnam trying to sell T-shirts on Facebook, they were using the veterans community to push things like racism and xenophobia, Islamophobia, anti-LGBTQ and anti-Jewish hate. Because... The veteran uh, brand in the United States is well-respected, generally speaking. Veterans have greater social influence in our immediate social networks than, than the average person does. When a veteran changes their mind or their voting behavior or their belief system or their values, they're more likely to take their family and friends along with them on that evolution. So whether it's foreign actors or the foreign actors who I found back in 2019 coordinating with Vets for Trump uh, to try and radicalize uh, American vets, whether it's domestic or foreign, they all recognize the value of veterans' voices and how they can use that to drive people into extremes, drive people into violence, and drive people into losing faith in democracy. There is nothing more dangerous to our democracy than American veterans or someone pretending to be an American veteran who basically says, I fought for this constitution and I think it's all bullshit and you know, you should come with me and, and become a, a fascist. Like that is the most dangerous thing in the world. And that is why Task Force Butler exists. We exist so that we can get veterans to use those same exact, um, that same exact privilege, 
Americans believe in the things that we say and they want to support us. We are creating a, a safe way for veterans to continue their service to this country, to go out and put the bad guys on defense. We've heard, you know, thousands of times over the last few years, the, the phrase defending democracy uttered. Well, yeah, we do defending democracy, but we're positioning ourselves as going on offense for democracy. We want to push the bad guys back into the dark corners and that's of the where, internet. And that's and where they belong. You know, I get you come from a background of, as a scrapper, veteran, the whole, the whole bit. What can average people do to fight against these radical right-wing gangs of neo-Nazis and the like? Like, I, I told you the story, you know, about myself and my buddies in college. I certainly wouldn't recommend... You know, guys 57, 50, or even, you know, I wouldn't recommend people do it because today everyone's fucking walking around with a gun. I mean, you know, that's the worst part about it. But what can average people do to fight against these, you know, radical right wing gangs? So thank you for asking me that. Um, so one of one of the things that Task Force Butler has been taking out on the road is our community response guide. People can go to taskforcebutler.org slash community. We created this guide literally because grandmas kept reaching out to us and saying like, they want to punch Nazis in the face and how can we help them do that? No grandma, your time punching Nazis has passed. We created an instruction manual. So we created uh, a, a how-to guide with an easy checklist on things like when you see evidence of hate, when you see a propaganda poster, when you see someone commit violence, here's how you document it and here's who, re who you report it to. Like calling 911 when you see an emergency situation, that is, everybody knows that, right? But when you see a propaganda sticker that's stuck in, in a subway station, how do you report that? We provide the direct links. People can go to taskforcebutler.org slash community. They can print out a version or they can look at it on their phone, like in real time in the moment. We train you how to document it. We train you how to report it, not just to locals, but to the FBI, uh, not just to police and, and law enforcement, but to, uh, to the SPLC, the ADL and other uh, uh, organizations that monitor the soon extremism. To be, the soon-to-be Michael Cohen JDL? <laughs> you know, if if you create an organization, man, and you're not fist fighting, we can talk about putting you on the list. But our whole goal, right, is, is to teach people that you're not in this fight against hate alone. It's all about community. I mean, the URL slug says it all, taskforcebutler.org slash community. It's about joining with, whether it's your friends or your family, your neighborhood, your college campus. It's the people close to you who have similar values, who also care so that it's not on just one person to do the reporting, to talk to press, to talk to law enforcement. People can divide and conquer. Take our list. It's got like, you know, five or six action items on the reporting uh, uh, and evidence collection, and they can work with people that they trust and they care about so that you together as a community can fight back against hate. And, and this is, I want to be clear. We wrote this for grandma. We wrote this so that you don't have to be a computer whiz. You don't have to be young. We made this so that anybody can take their first steps in holding people responsible for committing hate crimes. Taskforcebutler.org. So look, Chris, as the hour comes very quickly. I mean, you and I could sit and bullshit as, we, as we've done, you know, for 
obviously well longer than an hour. But I have one last question to ask you because I asked the same question to you last time, a little over a year ago when you were here. I remember it. I remember it well. And I'm going to ask it again. We are now even a more divided nation than we were than when you and I were speaking last time. Do you see a way back? Do you think that Americans can come together to become one nation again? We are the greatest nation on earth. You think there's any chance that we could come together to become one nation again? Or is it just gone? No, I think so. I mean, first of all, I, I've been, I literally think about this question all the time. You're asking me if, if we're going to MAGA, if we're going to make America great again. Right. Or make attorneys get attorneys or my ass got arrested or any of those other ones. Right. But but for real, we're you know, we're we're we shouldn't put ourselves, our mindset and the idea of going back to a better time. We're going to go forward to a better time. Like we've we've got some bumps that we're going to go over. We've got some some terrible shit that we're dealing with. We're all fighting for a better future. Right. There are, you know, things like climate change and uh, and the global migration that that is going to cause over the next few decades. Poverty and food shortage and insurance issues and immigration issues. Yeah, there's a lot. But we've got better medicine. We've got better education. People are more like we are as human beings doing better than than any human beings have ever done on this planet before. We're living longer. We're living more satisfying lives. And and if we all move in the same direction, if we all fight together in our communities to improve our situation, things will get better. Yeah. But, you know, what are we focused on now? We're focused on combating hate. If people want to help us like make this happen. Donate to taskforcebutler.org. If they want to empower veterans to go around the country and do the job of hunting these neo-Nazis and bringing them to justice, do that. That's what people can do today to solve that problem, right? We're not going to solve the whole problem. We're not going to de-radicalize the Republican Party. We don't do de-radicalization. We just do justice. And if people want to focus on justice and helping vets, taskforcebutler.org, make a donation. That is going to help us do the work and help all of us fight for a better future. Amen to that, Chris. As always, my friend, good to see you. Thank you for joining me. Uh, Clearly, this racism, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia is not going anywhere soon. So clearly, I'm going to ask you to join me again (laughs) very, very soon. And And it won't be a year. So thank you again. Good to see you, my brother. All right. You too. Have a good one, man. And now for today's mea culpa. Henry Kissinger finally passed at the age of 100. He took so long to die because he was afraid of going to hell. And he knew that he'd end up there. Now, I'm I'm not here to speak ill of the dead, but Kissinger was not a nice guy. Warmongers seldom are. Kissinger was some sort of like Steve Bannon to Richard Nixon's Donald Trump. I mean, though he did help get us out of Vietnam, in 1973, Kissinger shared a Nobel Peace Prize with Leduc, though, his North Vietnamese counterpart, for hammering out an agreement to end the war. The accord, and I quote, brought a wave of joy and hope for peace over the entire world. The Nobel Committee said he was a bad man with good intentions, and really bad men can do great things. 
Although I can't think of any great things that Trump has done. I mean, can you? When you ask a Trump voter what he's done for them, they stare at you at blankety blank and then they just say, I liked his policies. But when you ask them, what were they? I mean, did you like tax breaks for the rich? Because that's pretty much all he did. They have nothing to say. Why? Because they're just spewing his bullshit lines. The same fucking lines that people say again and again and again. I mean, seriously, that he liked? What is it that, that he killed about a million Americans with COVID? I mean, to be fair, he probably wishes that they hadn't killed them all because so many of them were from red states and that they would have voted for him if, I mean, God forbid, he becomes the Republican nominee. So let me say this. Donald Trump is a bad man and we all know it. And I should have said it. I should have said it years ago. But he was literally turned the world upside down and inside out. He's now out on the campaign trail telling his sycophants that he's going to trash Obamacare and replace it with what? Look, let me be clear. I've seen him talk about this shit before. He wants everybody to have no health insurance or to have something like an Obamacare that he's going to replace with something much, much better, something that's really beautiful, but he has no plan. He says shit with no actual plan on hand. Nothing. And MAGA voters will get nothing and like it. I mean, what the fuck is wrong with these people? Trump is what's wrong with them. That's what they need to hear. So let me say it again to any MAGA moron, three-tooth, four-brain cell asshole that may be listening, and God, I hope you are. What the fuck is wrong with you? Some of the last logical Republicans have started to come forward, and then they say enough already because the writing is on the wall. Too much more Trump, and America is over. For example, like J.P. Morgan boss Jamie Dimon, he's publicly come out against Trump, but saying we should stop sneering at Trump's MAGA supporters and bring them back into the fold. He says America has failed its least wealthy citizens and that insulting those with opposing political views is not going to make things better. And you know what? He's right. I agree with him. I absolutely agree with him. However, when you speak to these MAGA morons, you cannot just pat them on the back and say, yeah, that's okay. You're right. You're allowed to have your thoughts. No, you are spewing misinformation, disinformation, and malinformation on behalf of a narcissistic sociopath who is hell-bent on destroying democracy. But Trump speaks to these people. And what's crazier, he actually fucking hates them. But he loves their adulation. And he loves the fact that they'll vote for him. And he loves taking what little money that they have and spending it on his legal fees and hookers. Diamond is putting his money behind Nikki Haley, another guy, and he's encouraging other rich people to do the same before it's too late. Kevin McCarthy, who according to Liz Cheney's book, went to Mar-a-Lardo after January 6th because Trump was, get a load of this shit, too sad to eat. Oh, poor baby, too sad to eat. Well, why don't you do this, my friend? Wait till you're sitting in solitary fucking confinement and they give you no fucking food, or the food that they give you is just inedible. 
and you come out losing 20 fucking pounds over a period of 51 days. Then you'll be too sad to eat, you fat cow. And I didn't think Jabba the Hutt was ever going to be too sad to eat. But whatever, Kevin McCarthy, the cynical fuck that he is, sees how the wind is blowing and is now encouraging Trump to pick Nikki Haley as his running mate. Oh, great idea, great idea, Kevin, right? Use her as a running mate. What a great idea. Think about it. A Trump-Haley ticket would appeal to lots and lots of people. Haley would soften him and give women an excuse to vote for him. I mean, let's be serious about this. It happens to be a scary proposition. And I pray, I really pray, and I ask you to pray with me that Haley will hold on to herself and never bow down to Donald. I hope that maybe the bad men with good intentions will put enough money behind Haley to defeat the mango Mussolini, especially before it's too late. It won't just save the Republican Party. It could save us all. It will save democracy. It will save our Constitution. And as always, thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is written by Paula Killen. Our managing producer and editor is Lisa Orkin. Mea Culpa is a Midas Touch podcast, executive produced by the Midas Touch Network and LSJ Media Group. Smile.